0: You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit truegreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed.
1: Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, "What's your secret?" Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only 14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
2: There are nearly 20 million military vets in the U.S., and each week we focus on their stories. This is CBS Ion Veterans. Welcome back to CBS Ion Veterans. I'm Navy Vet Phil Briggs, reporting for ConnectingVets.com, the military news and veteran lifestyle website. Now, our guest today is Nate Boyer, and we're discussing his latest film, MVP the story of merging vets and players.
1: When you
3: retire, it's not on your terms. It makes it just that much harder to let go. But Will the Drill, he's without a doubt a legendary journey.
1: What are we going to do to replace the game, Well,
3: Football has changed a lot since you are in your prime.
1: You go to the game this week?
3: Football isn't everything, right? We lost 29 Marines on back-to-back deployments. You can't come home until you go home. I can't go home if I never had one.
2: On paper, he's a former Texas Longhorn long snapper and college football star that went on to become Army Special Forces and serve in Iraq and Afghanistan. And afterward, he was one of the rare breeds of military vets who goes on to play in the NFL, where he played and started with the Seattle Seahawks. If you add actor, writer, and director to the list, you'll see why, in most rooms, he's the most interesting guy in it. By the numbers, he's had to transition from two high-octane careers. The kind that nobody ever really wants to leave. So, with that, let's say hi to the most interesting man in this room right now: Army Special Forces vet Nate Boyer. Nate, what's up, man?
3: How's it going, Phil? Good to talk to
2: you, brother. Always glad to have you on the show. Love following you, and uh, or should I call you Zephyr for this interview? Yeah. I don't know.
3: <laughs> Nate's good. Nate's good.
2: Awesome movie. Just watched it over the weekend with my wife, Thank you, and um, I gotta say. There's some powerful performances, some incredible cameos. Share with us, uh, you know, I teased a little bit of the plot line there, but share with us just some of the cameos of the NFL faces and the other famous faces we'll see in this movie, and then we'll kind of unpack it starting with your military career.
3: Yeah, so, you know, first of all, every veteran portrayed on screen is played by an actual veteran. And th- and that that's something that's real important to me, like the representation we had uh, in front of the camera and behind. Most of the crew were veterans as well. but. You know, even even Dan Loria, the, uh, the dad from the Wonder Years. I don't know if you recognized him. I you did. Know. Yeah, he is, he had uh, the administrator. Yeah, he's a uh, Vietnam vet. So even, he's, even he, he's a veteran. And then, you know, all these those younger vets are all played by real vets. And then you've got Tony Gonzalez, you know, Hall of Fame tight end, Randy Couture, um, Army veteran and also six-time heavyweight champion in the world in the UFC. Um, you've got Jay Glazer, co-founder of MVP with myself. Uh, who's you know fox nfl insider you've got michael strahan and howie long who have a cameo in there you know obviously those names kind of speak for themselves uh rich eisen with nfl network tom arnold who plays somebody who works at nfl network uh sylvester stallone was an executive producer on this thing you know i mean like all these people kind of came together on this very you know <laughs> very thin budget uh and figured it out you know that was the The part of it that was, that I'm most proud of is, is what we were able to kind of come together, put together, uh, with a group of vets and athletes and, and even some Hollywood celebs, uh, and just make it happen. I'm really proud of it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Super cool. I love how it tracks again, them battling their own demons, which in the end, we kind of find out are very similar demons. We're going to get to that in just a bit, but to identify you to the audience real quick, uh, let's run some DD 214 cliff notes here. Um, you know, I say special forces. Green Beret, tell me about the fun and exciting places Uncle Sam sent you.
3: Well, I was in, uh, let's see, I, well, I joined a, as an 18 X-ray in the Army in 2000, into 2004, which means I had a Special Forces contract. So I spent my entire year or my entire career in Special Forces. Um, went to basic training in at Fort Benning in Georgia, Special Forces training, a qualification course in Fort Bragg, North Carolina, was sent to Okinawa, Japan first. Um, then I went to Iraq and came back home to Fort Carson, Colorado. And then uh, when I went to college, I transitioned into the National Guard, and I was down uh, at Camp Bullis in San Antonio area. From there, um, did two two trips to Afghanistan, two tours. Later in my career, while I was in college, and uh, and yeah, that's pretty much. Yeah, it was roughly nine years and change um, between active duty and the Guard and Special Forces and. Played college football, Texas briefly in Seattle uh, with the Seahawks in 2015, and and then sort of launched my entire being, everything I had, into filmmaking, and trying to trying to crack this nut.
2: Uh, with that, I'll just show kind of the common denominator. There's teams involved, in all that. There's the Texas Longhorns. There is the teams of the ODAs and what it's like to be in SF and be in that community. You are so tight. I mean, you're playing for life and death stakes at certain times. So those teams get so tight. And then you get into the locker room in the NFL. And that's a whole nother breed of guys who we forget, you know, where they just look like really cool athletes on TV to us. But we forget that's their whole life. They haven't done anything else. They've been in locker rooms since they were six years old or seven years old. Like, they don't know anything else. That's right. like those those team things are essential to who you guys are. And it's interesting that you've had to make that transition several times. Um, You highlight in this movie MVP. It's the story uh, of the guys you're with there, the fellow Marines. They are inspired by the story of the two seven Marines or the 2nd Battalion, 7th Marines they have a pretty bad A background themselves. Share with me a little bit about what we should know about the two seven Marines.
3: Yeah. Two seven, you know, I mean, just like any, you know, any battalion of of Marine infantrymen, you know, they join at 18, 19 years old, sometimes 17 years old, um, young dudes. And at this time with the group we're talking about, you know, they went to back to back deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan in 2007, 2008, and they lost 29 guys from their battalion on those two deployments. And you know one of the heartbreaking things after coming back home since then um now to date, I believe they've lost fifty six to their own hands, you know, and it's it's really a struggle for a lot of them and and you know in the movie, the zephyr character he's he's actually a composite character of a few different of our or a few of our veterans that come into m v p on a weekly basis for those that don't know real quick m v p stands for merging vets and players, and it's a nonprofit organization we bring together combat vets and former professional athletes to help them find purpose and identity when they lose a uniform. So MVP, the movie, is based on the genesis of merging vets and players, like how it all started, basically. Um, but those characters, a lot of those, that Zephyr character is sort of a an everyman character from 2-7. They've just, a lot of these guys come from tough upbringings, tough neighborhoods, tough childhoods, some of them kind of running to the Marine Corps, you know, and they go overseas, they give everything they have, they're part of a team, they're a part of a mission, something very special and purposeful. And then they come back and they lose the team. You know, they lose that uniform, that identity a sense of purpose and mission and all those things. And it's really hard to move forward. And, you know, I mean, cause I, I experienced some of that, a lot of veterans experience that, but I think it's an, even more of an intense situation when you at 17, 18, 19, you're thrust into war and you are like boots on the ground, you know, kicking doors down, getting shot at, losing buddies here and there. Like it's just intense, you know, and then you're 23, maybe 25, you know, into their thirties and they come back and transition into the real world and, you know, find a civilian job that's meaningful. That, that Zephyr character, his, uh, uh he's based off of, uh, you know, a, a, a somebody of a different name. But that individual, when he came back, he didn't know what to do. And he, he had a friend that helped get him a job at forever 21, like stocking shelves. And I was just like, what am I doing? You know what I mean? It's crazy, but it's just, it's a very common story. And then so many of these NFL players, former fighters, you know, just professional athletes in general have a f- similar experience of the transition. Obviously they're not going to war. They're not joining the military. Um, they're playing professional sports and some of them making a good amount of money. So it is different in a lot of ways in that regard. But when they lose the team in the uniform, there's like this guilt, embarrassment, sometimes inadequacy, feeling like kind of worthless now, and you've sort of peaked at a very young age, and you don't know who you are. That that stuff's all similar. So that's why we built uh, emerging Betsy players, uh, and that's why we thought it was important to make a movie about this to kind of help people that don't get to see this story, and don't understand this narrative. Um, they can kind of hopefully relate to it at least in some way.
2: And we're back at CBS Ion Veterans. I'm Navy vet Phil Briggs. And we'll jump back into my conversation with Army Special Forces veteran and former Seattle Seahawk Nate Boyer. We're talking about the new movie MVP, that tracks the start of the real world program merging vets and players where combat vets and former NFL athletes help each other to overcome their struggles and find true purpose in life after leaving the teams that gave them their greatest identity
4: I will give anything
2: just run out on that field one more time
5: we can't lose we're your team now
2: didn't think I'd buy it at first when I saw how do NFL players relate to these combat vets, because I knew yeah. the stoic history of the two seven. Right. I mean, good, good, right. good Lord. Go back. It's the Pacific theater. It's it, it's they backed up Chesty Puller and Guadalcanal and then Peilu and then uh, like all those famous battles uh, through the Korean War, through Vietnam. You know, these guys were studs. And I wondered right. about the pairing. But then I saw the heartbreak in that character. Will Mo uh, Mo McGray is the actor. Right? Yeah. I saw the heartbreak in his eyes and how he just didn't feel like doing anything. Cause he's like, man, I'm used to being in the center of attention. I'm used to playing on this big stage. I'm used to being huge. I can see the similarity between playing for life and death and playing for 80,000 people. That's got to feel like when it's all taken away, you know, do, do I want to stock shelves at forever 21? Do I really want to work at Dick's and help somebody pick out dumbbells? I mean, no,
3: Yeah, Um,
2: I could see that. Was there any misgivings about playing Zeph though as such a jerk? At the beginning, because like as a veteran that didn't see the tip of the spear, I look at right. sometimes and I say, man, those guys are so hard. They're always like, I don't want help. I don't need your help. Uh, I'm broken. You can't fix me. And I get it. But I often wonder, do we was there a misgiving about portraying him so hard or wouldn't there have been a benefit to saying maybe I'll portray him as the dude that does want to go get help. And that'll maybe talk to my brothers out there to maybe follow Zephyr's pattern as being the guy that gets help.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's, there's definitely individuals like that. I mean, this particular character was, uh, I mean, he's, they're based off real people, you know, they're based off of two individuals specifically. And these, these guys, that was sort of what got in their way. I mean, that story of homelessness is, that's actually based off of the Navy veteran. It's part of our organization as well. Um, it's sort of a mix of him and that two seven character where he, you know, he grew up without a home, you know, with his mom and, um, just kind of navigating life in that way. And it was, it's not a super common story as far as where they wound up, you know, living in that transition house, living in that shelter, but certainly, uh, certainly, certainly important, certainly real. And, but yeah, I see what you're saying. I mean, there's definitely, there are some individuals that kind of, have, you know, approach it in a different way and have that, have that, uh, have that story, kind of have that, that piece of it. But these guys, that was sort of what got in their way. Like, just the unwillingness to ask for help and trying to tough it out, you know, suck it up and drive on, as they say, just, yeah, I'm not, I'm not supposed to ask for help. I never, you know, you asked for help when I was doing what I did in the military, it was seen as weak, you know, and it was just right. like, that's not, you know, I don't, I don't learn how to do that yet. It's sort of the story of them learning to do that. You know?
2: And I get it too. It's a real story. You soften him up too much. And then it's a Hallmark movie and I can't see Nate Boyer. Right. making a Hallmark movie. so that's not cool. yet.
3: Maybe down
2: uh let's uh drive on some of the locations, some of the scenery, the imagery in this movie, I thought was just really cool. I want to say one of the most surprising things is horseback riding and a river in LA. I, I, right. I just, you don't even think about that. It wasn't until I saw something on another channel that I did learn that there is an actual river that runs through LA. Yeah, um, <laughs> Most of it's concrete, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. share with me about the horse, because I know, was that a nod to weave into the story to tell vets, Hey man, if you're struggling, go get with some of these beautiful creatures, man. They will help you.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a, a – I mean, horse therapy, first of all, is a big part of what a lot of that sort of utilized area. But also, I just wanted to add some more juxtaposition and something a little bit different than people expected. First of all, the story of this veteran and this former athlete takes place in Hollywood, you know, which I think a lot of people wouldn't assume – many vets live in Hollywood and uh there's a lot. There's a there's a good amount in uh, in the LA area. A a huge amount. They have a huge veteran population, a lot of homeless veterans as well. Um, so part of it was that part of it was just the the idea that like he seeks um a bit of the adrenaline that comes with some kind of danger or adventure or those kind of things that he misses from when he was in. And so You know, riding riding horses for him, sort of out in the outskirts of of L.A. and in some, you know, and not some necessarily some great neighborhoods. I mean, those matched with you know him him ruck marching through Skid Row and like those kind of things that we kind of show in the movie. Like for him, that it reminds him of, it makes him feel just little hints of what it was like to be in combat, which he does miss. He misses that like sense of purpose the life and death of it a good friend of mine who and we use a quote in the movie um a good friend of mine and and, and tyler Gray um talks about it all the time about how most of his post-traumatic stress comes from lack of traumatic stress and you know so it's that kind of that kind of piece and and, and we uh that kind of feeling we t- So we, we wanted to not only touch on that and say that, but kind of show that and feel it. And, and hopefully that came across in some ways, but I think the horse, the horseback riding, is just like, you know, it definitely threw people, I think a bit, like there's some people that read the script. They're like, why do you really need the horses? I'm like, yeah, maybe we don't, but you'll see at the end of the story, why I think it's important. And uh, cause it's got to take them to this place. Also, it just, it's just something that's that's a real part of a lot of these vets' growth and and recovery here in LA anyway, and so I just wanted to we had the opportunity to utilize that. My, I grew up around horses a bit. My dad was a racehorse veterinarian, so I was like, let's uh, let's just go for it, you know, if we can, and uh, yeah, I, I think I think it'll be interesting anyway.
2: Super powerful. I loved it. The juxtaposition of riding a horse down a little like thin river, almost creek sized river near a highway overpass with graffiti on the background was just like something that was just so surreal. I thought that was a very cool nod to equine therapy. Um, You mentioned it and I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, The running scenes. um, You do a lot of running in this movie. (laughs) the running scenes past Skid Row, I thought the imagery was so rad because you can hear the police helicopter. You can see you running down a wet kind of nighttime scene past all these homeless tents. And it just looks like you're in a war zone. And I thought that that might be a nod to the combat that some of the guys miss or a signal of you are depressed and look where your environment is. It's it, it, the, everybody's dealing with some stuff. Um, last thing I wanted to ask about was, the emotional scenes, that breakdown scene, was that tough to film? Because I mean, you could see the cut in, there, or you can see the close up and the the marks on your back with the jump rope, and just like I mean, I think you,
3: you gave yourself a bloody lip,
2: I think or something in the movie. I don't know if that's makeup or not, but um, we didn't was have that, that kind of makeup?
3: Unfortunately,
2: it was real blood. Damn. Okay, um, was that tough to film for you having? been so close to people not only that have passed whether in combat or to suicide was that a yeah. was that a tough scene to film
3: yeah yeah those were tough those were those were tough scenes to film i thought they were also pretty necessary and and honestly a lot of that was a lot of that was kind of me some of some of my experiences you know just sort of how i've felt um trying to trying to Portray that, trying to translate that to the screen, it can be a little tough. Um, figure out a way that to accurately do that without just saying the words, you know. So that was that was something that kind of wrestled with on how we would do that and how we would show that. But it was meant to feel very un- kind of uncomfortable and kind of dark. And I mean, these people, so many of these people, myself included, like beat each other up, beat ourselves up, I should say, pretty bad emotionally and you know, mentally and um and sometimes physically even and and i yeah. thought that that was something that people needed to understand that it, that it is a thing i mean it's not not everybody um does stuff like that and it's not uh something that you know i encourage people to to do but i just i, no, right. I wanted people to see it and, and feel what that might be like for something you know
2: no, it was, and it was good because I got uncomfortable watching it. My wife, I could see was getting a little uncomfortable and, and, and that is what it was meant to do. It was meant to show just how deep these emotions run. And, you know, I don't want to give too much away so you could see it, but watching the right. guy beat himself up, literally beat the crap out of yeah. himself. Man, that was moving. Great scene. Um, another kind of moving thing was on the sports side. And I know, right on, you know we're coming up to the I lightning will. round here. Uh, so we got to wrap this up, but. The time when Tony Gonzalez shares that heartfelt moment about how he felt lost in the sauce—another good quote from the movie—was um, that real? Did he really struggle with depression and and when he got out?
3: Yeah, um, yeah, he 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 did. He that story he tells about going uh, on that trip to Spain, you know, with his wife and sort of that whole thing—that's a real story. He he had told that story before in an MVP session in one of our hosts you know, to our vets and athletes and kind of opened up in that way. And, uh, it was, it was powerful. It was heavy. It was tough. Uh, but it really did resonate with people. A lot of these athletes, excuse me, a lot of these veterans, I think when they heard that, they were like, man, like, I, I never thought I'd say this, but I have something pretty in common with Tony Gonzalez. You know, I think maybe the greatest tight end of all time. And, um, it helped a lot of them kind of settle in and understand like, this is normal. It's not. You know, it's not something I want to feel forever, of course. But like, I'm not alone. You know, I, I know that other people feel this way, and not just veterans. Uh, other people in general, just in life, uh, yeah. struggle with with stuff like this and, and the transition in and and feeling like you'll ever be great again. You know, no matter what your greatness looks like.
2: As we wrap, um, I think that's the takeaway from this movie: merging vets with players, MVP the story of how ex NFL athletes came together and battled demons alongside, side by side in the gym with veterans. The takeaway for a veteran, and this is the one I wanted to ask, is what if I don't train like that? What if I'm not a jujitsu guy? What if I'm a 51 year old guy who's watched some family members die? I got a heart condition. I'm probably not gonna get in the ring with you. But what's my takeaway?
3: <laughs> like Well well, first of all, you know, at mvp and and by the way to, to go to learn more about the, the organization go to vetsandplayers.org and you can become a member we've got eight chapters around the country we've also got virtual options and we're growing uh, every day but we've got members from all of all shapes and sizes you know all all genders and branches of the military and different sports some of them dealing with some pretty heavy injuries and and, and it, we, we figure that all out together. It's not a place where we're coming in and everybody needs to be in tip top shape. We're not always just rolling around on the mat doing jujitsu. We do different stuff. You know, we do different things. So it's for everybody. And the most important part about those huddles is not the workout It's what happens afterwards when we circle up and, you know, it's peer to peer coaching session and we kind of open up about stuff. So that's, that's what's important. And that's what I want people to understand. It is for everybody. It is for every, every combat vet and former pro athlete. There's a lot you can get out of this. There's no doubt. So yeah, please come check us out at vetsandplayers.org.
2: Vetsandplayers.org. You have to check that out right now the movie MVP. It's streaming. Just look wherever you stream. Apple Plus or
3: Amazon Prime, Apple TV, Google Play. It's everywhere. Yeah.
2: Those are the ones. Amazon Prime, Google Play. Find it there. And uh, it's just an incredible incredible movie a great way to tell that story i'm so glad you did i loved the cameos and more than anything i was left with find find a tribe go plug in and certainly for the combat vet merging vets and players one hell of a resource so uh nate boyer man i thank you for your time man i cannot wait thank you, you gotta come back you've played football in the nfl i want your thoughts on the washington commanders
3: <laughs> right on brother i love it i will we'll figure it out thanks for having me
2: I'm Navy veteran Phil Briggs for ConnectingVets.com. And this hour, we're talking with military vets who are being honored by Evan Williams Bourbon as American-made heroes. Now, our next vet is an amazing woman. Retired Army Captain Mary Tobin grew up watching her mother do everything in her power to help those in need, even when her own family didn't have much. She left Atlanta at only 17 to go to the United States Military Academy at West Point. And it was in her third year of training that 9-11 drastically altered the trajectory of her career. Right after graduation, she deployed to Iraq for six months, receiving a combat action badge. And as we're about to hear, her career shattered some glass ceilings as she became the only woman and black officer in her unit.
1: So being in a field artillery unit, at the time, that unit had not had women officers or women enlisted soldiers serve in that unit, especially not in a time of war. Uh, so I actually had to get a waiver in order to deploy, uh, with my union at the time. And so what was very interesting was watching the men who had never served with a woman before try to figure out, okay, where's the Lieutenant going to use the bathroom? Where is the Lieutenant living? Uh, is she staying in our tent? And, um, I actually got more enjoyment watching my, my fellow male soldiers squirm, um, <laughs> over trying to figure out <laughs> how I was going to perform basic hygiene functions, um, than, you know, than anything else. And so, you know, eventually they got used to it, um, you know, because I think, you know, we about a month into our time in Iraq, and this is my first deployment, everyone kind of figured out all that matters is how well you can do your job and how well you take care of each other and how well you have each other's back. And so, you know, it took about one one day in which my soldiers came to the range with me and saw me shoot and get expert on my weapon. Um, they came to the physical training field and saw me uh, do well on my PT test and they saw me, um, know my, know my work and know my job and make the right decision. And so it quickly went from, Oh, our LT has ovaries to our LT is a badass." And so, um, I really, really appreciated (laughs) being challenged in that way. Um, but you know, my differences were apparent
2: i thank you for doing that because that's huge there's a lot of young ladies out there looking up to you saying wow i can do that too and um Absolutely. yeah that's just that's good stuff uh also good stuff and should be noted when you get into talking with veterans you can probably uh throw some weight around because uh you do in fact have a combat action badge <laughs> i do
1: <laughs> i mean you know I, I, what's interesting is no one you know who's ever you know put on the uniform brags about, you know, achieving, you know, badges or awards where you were in direct danger or harm or someone else was in direct danger or harm, um, you know, that those incidents, you know, take for the one that I, you know, I received the combat action badge for, um, it's pretty traumatizing, you know, it's and it's also wrapped in gratitude, right, that I was one of the lucky ones who, who made it back and I, and I have all my limbs and You know i have most of my mind (laughs) you ask my family (laughs) and friends they'll tell you i'm crazy most days um you know but you know very proud of the fact that the military um during the time that i received the badge recognized that there were so many other types of units outside of the infantry who were in direct combat who were um, out there fighting against the enemy um, on different fronts, that, unlike that we have ever seen in the military before. And so being able to recognize like those units that were out there supplementing the infantry and the field artillery units that were on patrol and, and making sure that they were keeping the people of Iraq safe as well as our soldiers safe. It was, I think it was fantastic that the military evolved, right, to make sure that we were honoring and valuing all of the work that was happening. And, and I just happened to be one of the people um, who was honored in that way and I'm grateful for that. But I'm more grateful um, that I have a life um, that I that I still live and then I get to use my life and the way that I'm um, using the work that I do for veterans to honor those who, who made the ultimate sacrifice.
2: Now hearing how Mary is honoring this life and her fellow veterans is truly an incredible story.
1: I was medically retired from the Army after 10 years and I was not happy about it. Um, you know, I just sustained injuries over my time in the Army that, you know, that meant that it was better for me to transition to a life of being a civilian and to focus on healing in that way, that I would never get better if I kept hard charging uh, in the military. And so doctors made a very hard decision and decided that I should be medically retired. I fought it tooth and nail, you know, but I think what was most uh, stark for me was after the military, I could not find purpose in a regular nine to five. And what does that mean? Um, That means that if I could not reach out and touch uh, the people that I was directly helping, if my work didn't directly impact someone's life or community becoming better, I just could not connect to it the way I could in the military. And so I found myself searching for purpose and reason. um, And I found it in volunteering and my first volunteer Uh, role was uh, for an organization that I work for now called The Mission Continues. And I remember it was roughly about five years ago, I went to volunteer in Brooklyn. Uh, There was a young lady, a 12-year-old young lady who had been raped in a park just a few weeks before. And The Mission Continues was working in that very same park to clean it up. It was known for where drug addicts frequented. It was known for a lot of violence. And that young lady had been taken there and raped. And so instead of um, wallowing in the grief and the tragedy of it all, the mission continues to upon that park and completely transformed it. And about 50 veterans spent six hours just working. We barely drank water. We barely ate. We just dug in. And for the first time, I felt that sense of connectedness that I'd been missing in the Army. And I said to myself, you know what? one day I'm going to work for the organization. And I continue to uh, do work in nonprofits as an executive director, and I always chose to work with the Mission Continues when I had to do community impact work. And I just saw, like, the impact on veterans feeling useful again, bringing their skills to bear, leading work in communities, as well as helping people and believing in the strength of, of the people in that community that we served. And so now I get to lead the East region, of the Mission Continues, so that's 26 cities, including Brooklyn and that park that I first worked in. And we work uh, to not only support the efforts that need to happen in under-resourced communities, but we're working to give veterans a sense of purpose and commitment to serving our country again. And it is literally the nexus of who I am. Um, I'm so proud to be a veteran and my service to this country but I'm also driven by the need to see this world better. So I get to do that in one shot, and I get paid to do it. I really can not think of a better situation.
2: (laughs) That is awesome, and that certainly makes you so deserving of the Evan Williams American Made Hero honor. uh, Oh, thank you. And and just such a beautiful story. To go from volunteering to being the executive director for a whole region of the country, uh, the mission continues. Uh, Lucky to have you. Yeah, Um, thank you. If I can ask, kind of a sidebar here, but... What's your thoughts for the future? What's your thoughts for our country going forward in light of all that's been going on lately?
1: Right. I think that our country is exactly where it needs to be. And what do I mean by that? You know, I think that we, the fact that we are confronting, we are finally confronting our beautifully painful history uh, with racism, is particularly around the treatment of black Americans. And we're finally confronting it and realizing that no, we haven't done enough and that there is more work to do gives me so much hope. The conversations that are happening, not only just at the individual level, but at the corporate level, when you see global organizations taking a stand and revamping how they do diversity, equity, inclusion in every facet of how they do their business, from their supply chains to their hiring practices to scholarships that they give out, I mean, I could not have imagined. a a collective moment like this and so i am encouraged by this but i think that for individuals the it cannot stop at just having the conversation right it is not enough to just not be racist right we have to actively work against racism so that's the next step and what that looks like at every level is different it could be policies and procedures it could even be in the name change of a team But it is actively confronting our racist history and working very hard to eliminate it at every single level. That is the next stage.
2: And that is why retired Army Captain Mary Tobin is an Evan Williams Bourbon American-made hero. You can see more about the incredible work she continues to do at missioncontinues.org. Now in November, we recognize and honor military vets. So we wanted to take a few minutes and honor the veterans from our sponsor, University of Maryland Global Campus. Recently, as we were getting ready to end our day here in the States, a new day was just beginning in Japan. And that's where Dr. James Wyatt is a professor of English and writing for UMGC. We talked to him about his time in service during the tumultuous Vietnam era, shared some sea stories, and heard some important life advice for service members and veterans that are considering getting their college degrees. Army veteran and professor, Dr. James Wyatt, how are you, sir?
4: Doing great. It's a beautiful day here in Japan. The uh, sun's shining, and it's nice, not too cold. Yeah. Right on.
2: Always love these interviews. I'm getting ready to say good night. You're getting ready to say good morning.
4: But uh <laughs> <Right>.
2: <laughs> just so, so glad to have you on the show. I know that there have been some successful students that have crossed your path, but you have been one. Tell me about your service-related background.
4: Uh, I was in the Army, uh, I was at Fort Polk in 1970 for basic training and AIT training, and then I went to uh, Fort Benning uh, Infantry School. I was pretty lucky, I I went from E1 to E5 in uh, in a year, so. (laughs) Doesn't happen anymore. (laughs) No. You could make rank pretty quickly back then because people were getting killed, you know. <laughs> I was at uh, Fort Benning when Lieutenant Kelly was on trial, so it was a, it was a very complicated time, you know. And uh, our basic training, uh, we had sign on the wall, and I'll never forget it. It said, "Ours not to do and die; ours but to reason why." You know, so that was kind of like the motto for, for our generation. So. But I wound up uh, being in the cavalry, so that was okay. Uh, I was in the second, the fourteenth uh, cavalry in Germany. Uh, it was a, it was a cold war, you know. It was kind of like the same situation we have now with Russia, except they're eating it up now.
2: What was it like serving it. in that era? Compare and contrast to today. Was it? Uh, I mean, I'm thinking, you know, early '70s, still uh-huh. tumultuous, still full of protests, still divided. Right over the conflict in Vietnam. Um, What are your thoughts and memories of that era?
4: Well, I thought 1968 was the worst year when uh, Martin Luther King got assassinated and Robert Kennedy got assassinated. It was really a bad year. It was like when the 60s ended, you know, the flower child, uh, flower power generation kind of faded out after that. uh, So, it was difficult at times. I'd have to write you a book about that. Uh, you know, it was, it's a long story, right? So, the army I was in, the pay wasn't very good. Uh, I made eighty-eight dollars a month uh, to start with, and I had a, a, you know, wife and a young child. Uh, but uh, I got lucky. I, I won the lottery. You know, when they had the lottery, came up for drafting people. So. But I didn't mind it because I already had some ROTC training with uh, some couple of fabulous guys, uh, Captain Adams and Major Crow. I never forget them. Uh, one of them was—they were both uh, Rangers, but one of them was infantry and one of them was armor. So they'd argue about uh, which was the best. And uh, Major Crow said he. He'd rather die in this uh, multi-million-dollar tank than to just get shot on the ground. <laughs> so they were—they <laughs> were, they were great, uh, and that was a, that was a good gig, you know, teaching ROTC classes, right? So,
2: tell me more about a memory or two you have from your time in something that you've always taken with you, maybe something that you share with your students.
4: Well, the first time we went on a five-mile march, I remember uh, it was really hot, Fort Polk in June. Uh, so I couldn't make it and I had to fall out to the side of the thing and uh, it made me really mad at myself. When I was 23 years old. I was already an old man. Most of them were 19, you know, so uh, I said I'd never do that again. <laughs> so I didn't <laughs> and that's uh, kind of like a, a defining moment I guess in my life where I said don't ever quit, you know, you'll feel bad about yourself. <laughs> right? So I tell the students that sometimes. Just keep going. Even if you're going through hell, just keep going, as Churchill said, you know, Like just keep going.
2: Do you have any colorful memories from deployments?
4: Well, I had a drill sergeant in platoon next to mine in, in uh, basic training, and it was sergeant going, and then uh, uh, when I got to Germany, uh, there was sergeant going, you know, so I was really kind of a small world, you know, in the military community, and I remember seeing him. Uh, we went to the beer hall one night, you know, and uh, the Germans all had hairnets. Uh, they had long hair, you know, they, and then they wore hairnets. So uh, they all got drunk, and I remember seeing Sergeant going dancing on the table, you know, <laughs> with, with these German guys. It was like something out of uh, Beowulf, or you know, something like that, like
2: right?
4: In the meat uh. hall, right. <laughs>
2: actually sounds more like a navy story doc i gotta be honest i've well, heard, i've i've seen many of those moments in port calls yeah. in foreign countries far away from home yeah yeah
4: <laughs> well i always tell my students i enjoy working with the navy more than the other branches of service because they have better sea stories you know uh, they have a lot of stories but i was telling them at sugi one night you guys get to see more of the world than uh, a lot of the other branches of service and One guy said, yeah. He said, since Earth's mostly water, we get to see all the water. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's not always all it's
2: cracked up to be, right? I mean, four months of staring at the ocean can drive you crazy.
4: Yeah.
2: Storytelling's kind of part of what we do here. What do you think are the most important things that service members getting ready to get out into the world need to know today, given the fact that you've had several decades as a college professor? What do you think students need to arm and equip themselves with?
4: Well, you know, I'm a book guy, so I used to teach a lot of classes, uh, Shakespeare and uh, modern novel, things like that. Uh, so, well, it should take some literature. You know, I, I, I'm still a literature guy, but uh, uh, that's that's something you need for a background, because when all the power fails and everything, you can always sit under a shade tree and uh, read a book. <laughs> so,
2: <laughs> What advice do you have for the service member getting ready to, to depart and join this weird wild world that we call the civilian experience?
4: Well, I feel kind of like Leonard Cohen, like I never really fit into the civilian world. <laughs> so I think that's why I wound up working with the military because it's, it's just, as one old guy said once uh, in a meeting I was in, he said, he couldn't understand the civilian world, but all those people running around out there with no supervision, <laughs> so he, he thought people need to be supervised, so uh, I would say, I don't know, you know, I get a lot of people who've already retired, uh, you know, some people retired here and they they come to take classes, uh, so GI Bill's really good for that. Uh. But they should, they should learn all they can about technology, I would say, and uh, about investing. You know, a lot of them are interested in investing, so they need to be very careful about information they get, you know, and misinformation. That's what I'm doing mostly, just teaching them how to do research and look for the facts, you know, and not not go down all these rabbit holes. Critical thinking is a lot of it, you know, analyzing things and comparing and contrasting uh uh, I guess the thing they need to do is just keep updated, you know? Because uh, looking at these companies, I see Amazon's laying off maybe a whole bunch of people this week. Uh, it's, it's a different world than the world I grew up in because it's a gig world, you know? It's a gig economy. And a lot of young people, they're, they're good at playing that, that game because they, they go from one position to another rather quickly you just got to be flexible. you got, you got to you know, never close your mind to other opportunities.
0: Hey, Prime members, you can listen to ION Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts.
5: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.